part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Covering the most recent season of The Crown, make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. episode of podcast a little bit what is this what is 2023 it is weird we're back uh i know we've been away for a while i apologize for that my name is double m matt murdick and we are going to be covering the show season five of the crown on netflix so if you haven't seen any of those episodes i would urge you to watch them before you listen to this podcast or watch these videos Thanks for joining us, though. Today, we are only talking about the music of the first three episodes of The Crown. So once again, if you're not into the music, this may not be the one for you, but we will be joined soon in a new episode where we are talking about those same episodes with other people. So you don't just have to hear me ramble by myself either, but... I am pretty good at talking about music, so that's what we're going to do today just to get the ball rolling because that's what most of my podcasts are about. By the way, if you have any feedback for the podcast, we want you to contact us at LilibetPod on Twitter, L-I-L-I-Bet-Pod on Twitter, so long as Twitter still exists. If it does not, then you can certainly send different kinds of messages using other social media. I'm on Hive. The spelling is Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S audio blog. Same spelling for Mastodon, although I'm not on the Mast.2 server. I can't pronounce the server. You just search for Matt's audio blog wherever you have your Mastodon account and you should find me. You can also send emails to that same spelling, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the website, mattsaudioblog.com. Guess what? All that's the same spelling. And you can also find our videos on the Double P Media YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. You can also contact them via all of their socials. This spelling comes in real handy for their socials. The word double, the letters PHQ. That's good for Twitter. That's good for Instagram. That's good for Hive. That's also the same spelling that they use for their Facebook page. So facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ, which stands for Podcast Headquarters. You can find their website, doublepmedia.com. And once again, that YouTube channel is youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Why do we want your feedback? Because we want to give you lots of things We want to give you gifts such as this one, The Crown Dissected, a book that we will send to you. You have a chance to win, but only if you submit feedback regarding season five of The Crown. Or how about The Crown Official Companion for 1947 through 1955? Or how about The Crown Official Companion for 1956 through 1977? Or how about 
this beauty, which has lots of pretty pictures and interesting articles from Vogue magazine, The Crown in Vogue. We will be giving all of these away, but the only way that you can win is to submit feedback or play one of our silly games, which we will have in our story podcast. More on those when they come out. But we definitely want to hear from you. Please, please, please submit us your feedback regarding the crown. I don't want to have to send all of these things to just one person. I'd like to send each individual one to different people. So let's get more than five feedback responses from five different people, if that is possible. Even though I don't know if there's even five of you who are still listening now. At any rate, I've done enough rambling. Let's talk about the music. And apologies for this, because I know people don't like people taking stands on anything anymore. You're either too woke, or you have no sense of reality, or whatever. But I have to say this. Episode 3, Mumu, in this series, centers around a guy, Muhammad Al-Fayed. He's an interesting character, not always likable. And all that's fine. And I really appreciate the crown taking the time to focus in on this guy. However, no effort at all was made to create an original theme for this guy. Instead, a whole bunch of music that had been used prior was put underneath big moments for this character. Some of which, I suppose, if you look at the themes themselves, kind of conceptually might fit. But many would be really a stretch. And some of them, even conceptually, just don't make any sense at all. I find it kind of a travesty that a show would take so much time to expose us to this very interesting personality and yet not give it any kind of context narratively from a musical standpoint. There's individuality in the story. Why not in the music, too? It makes no sense to me that a theme that has been used for government officials is used for Muhammad's wedding. And yes, some of the beats from the wedding dance is employed into it. But the theme was used in season three and in season four called the establishment. It represented government. It represented the oppositional relationship between the prime minister and the queen at best. And while if you know the history of Dodie and Diana, maybe you could say, well, there's some opposition there. But in this episode, all it does is depict Muhammad wanting to be closer to the crown. So I just don't understand why that was used. I don't understand why a track called Sisters in the season three official soundtrack was used to demonstrate Mumu and Sydney's relationship. That theme had prior always been about Elizabeth and Margaret. And if you want to really stretch it and say, okay, well, Mumu thought of Sydney like a brother at the end, then fine. But that's really stretching. And these kinds of instances happen over and over and over in the episode. So I just don't understand why such care was taken to depict this character story-wise, but zero effort was made to represent him musically. But that's my soapbox. And again, I just told you all of the feedback information. If you disagree with me, feel free. 
I would love to have a conversation with you about it. We do have an official soundtrack from Martin Phipps for season five that introduces a lot of the new pieces that we actually hear in these first three episodes. And I want to go over a few of those and where they are in the episodes. The first cut from the official soundtrack that really came of note to me in the first episode was a theme called Feet Up. It's the second cut on the official soundtrack. And one of the first things that you notice about it is that it feels very classical. And it almost feels like a waltz, but it's not quite. The time signature is a little strange. It has seven counts instead of what a waltz would have being three or six. And one of the things that's great about this is the way that it is applied to situations that seem just a little odd and mostly towards a little bit, but there are some other uses of it as well. There's a lighter version as the queen is doing her duties in Scotland and Philip is exploring the ship trying to figure out what's going wrong. But the most predominant version, the biggest presentation of it, really is during the time that the queen and Princess Anne are going to visit the lighthouse. They're traveling on the boat. Incidentally, the title comes likely from the fact that the queen says to Philip that once she performs these duties, it's feet up for summer. Composers often title their themes actually based on cues or script lines or whatever, wherever it's going to start to occur, as opposed to what the theme is really about. Now, as I noted, it has a 7-4 rhythm to it, which means that it feels like it goes a little bit over a waltz, or it feels just short of a 4-4. It's awkward, kind of like Elizabeth herself, or even like Philip when he's searching through the ship to figure out what the heck is going on with all the noises. And it has this great little introduction before it starts the theme itself that has this pulse in it that feels very staccato. Let me play that for you first. The time signature is what makes it awkward. Those staccato, those short strings, it is the queen, and that is a very regal kind of rhythm. If you think of a lot of trumpet overtures, like brass entrances for royalty or whatever, in whatever television series that we see, you get a lot of those kinds of rhythms. It feels, the staccato makes it feel very official, so to speak. So I love that that intro is like that. But it's when the theme comes in that things really get interesting. That theme sounds like this, and unfortunately, just playing it on a piano will not sound like the way that it brilliantly did in the episode. But just so you can identify what it sounds like, here it is. There's also something very interesting happening with the timbres, meaning the instruments that are being played, because the melody is traded back and forth, where the strings are at first accompanying a feeling of that officialness being carried in the brass with the melody and the low strings. And then as the melody climbs, 
the instrumentation is shifted to the woodwinds with the lower strings accompanying. There's almost a dichotomy of instrumentation here. And I love the melodic shape in the fact that there is a sweeping motion to it. Big jumps up and then steps down. And the overall melodic shape is really beautiful. By that I mean how high the notes are going, how low they get, where they start, where they end. It kind of reaches for something, you know? The aspiration is to relax or whatever. And then as Elizabeth is doing her little duties, it's taking her down a peg. Or Philip is unable to relax because he's looking for this problem. But the way that this shape is actually best applied doesn't occur with the Queen or Philip. It occurs with Diana when the vacation is over. As we see that last little boat dinghy ride and people taking pictures of Charles and Diana and the kids and Andrew Morton is watching and the scene shifts to Diana being on the plane and being consoled by her son, we hear this melody being applied not with any of that royal staccatoness or anything like that, but very slowly very sadly, and underneath some different chords. I haven't talked about the harmony yet. All of the harmony that we heard previously pretty much signifies a major sound, a major chord, a major key. And that typically gives us a happier feeling as human beings than a minor, certainly more than a diminished or more than even an augmented, which just makes us feel weird. But let me play the way that melody, which sounds like this. Listen to how that melody is applied much more slowly and listen to the harmony underneath it, which doesn't resemble anything like what we heard before. great to apply this theme because there is no more feed up for Diana. Her part of this quote unquote second honeymoon is now over. So how can that same melody, which before when it was applied, seemed at least somewhat happy, right? And somewhat reaching towards something, whereas here it sounds sad. Well, the shape lends itself both ways, melodically speaking. The tempo, the speed at which the notes play, also make it have less spark to it. But the key here is the harmony. The harmony that's being placed underneath in the cut that I just played on a synthesizer is using what we call a suspended dominant chord. Now, you don't need to know any of these numbers. Don't worry about that. Just the bass note that it's placed on wants to lead us back to the key where it would be happy, but it never gets there. By using that specific bass note, the dominant, which always wants to bring us home, bring us back to the one, but the fact that it doesn't get there makes it uncomfortable, makes it sad, and not even quite as uncomfortable 
as if they were just playing a straight dominant chord, because then we would just feel weird. We would say, why didn't it go back to one? I mean, we're not actually thinking that, but that's what's happening subliminally in our heads. Instead, it's a suspended dominant. So it's not even a resolved dominant. And that's what gives it this sinking, dark feeling is the fact that we can't even resolve the five chords so that we can get back to the one chord. We're stuck back two spots. And it was a beautiful application of a theme. One last note about this, and that is you'll notice that the melody notes themselves are very long amidst all of the staccato-ness. That's because the person is the melody. Elizabeth is slow, steady, not always completely sure, but she kind of methodically goes along. This kind of phrasing, these long notes, is called legato, whereas the short notes are called staccato. And the same applies for Diana. Legato, connecting things together. Diana's trying to work her way through this fact that this whole bit with Charles was just a publicity stunt. While staccato notes typically feel short, just like being short with your emotions, legato feels stretched. And Diana's emotions have been stretched for a very long time when it comes to her feelings about Charles and about the royal family in general. And I love all of that just regarding one singular cut that works like a chameleon in ways, either through harmony or the way that the melody imposes itself over the accompaniment. All of that is a musical narrative for character, for situation, and many of you will not even care or realize that it's there, but it is constantly amplifying your emotions. That's what we call psychoacoustics. We are all, as human beings, musically inclined, whether we know it or not. Maybe we don't have the technique to perform the music, but our brains have always had the technique to hear the music, all the way back to this dude named Pythagoras, who you may know for his triangle work, but he applied mathematics to everything, including music, and some of his discoveries have actually endured the test of time in both Western and Eastern music. Have you ever had someone tell you that you don't have to understand the language of an opera to feel it? That's exactly what we're talking about here. Psychoacoustics is the way that our human brains create chemicals to make us feel a certain way based on an aural, with an A, stimuli. When composers hear things in their head, they're conveying emotions. We feel those emotions through the notes that come through their pens. And it is no different for film scoring. In fact, it's the most important element of film scoring. And I've already gone through some elements with this first track that we consider to be part of that psychoacoustic stimuli, such as melodic shape or the rhythm or the tempo or the harmony, which often adds emotional context. So let's move on to another cut that was present in the first three episodes, predominantly in episode two. This one is more of a theme for Philip, or maybe Philip and Penny. It is entitled A Companion on the official soundtrack, Cut 4. But what I like about this one is it also adds the sense of awkwardness, but in just a different way. But it's a different kind of awkwardness. We've been talking about how 
the time signature was what created the kind of awkwardness for the prior theme, Feed Up. But here, it's actually the melody that creates just this one little moment of awkwardness because it borrows a note from a scale that isn't part of the typical key. Now, he doesn't make it too awkward because it's just kind of a passing tone, but it does stick out a little bit. And another way that he tempers it down is because he uses the time signature of a waltz, almost what we were expecting in the prior cut, except this time it's actually there. A waltz is a three count. Three counts are great. They're sometimes called circular time because they're actually divisible in two different ways. In fact, if you think of a march, dum those are actually triplets happening in the two beat. And so that creates a total of six counts, which is a multiple of three. The reason why three is called circular time is because it's easily divisible by two and by three. Thus, less of a beginning, less of an end. It just kind of goes around. It never meets itself. There are no corners, no jagged edges to box it in. It can be divided in a number of ways. The other thing that I really love about this melody, besides the fact that it uses a note that doesn't really fit the particular scale, is the shape of it. It starts off tentative, then it goes higher, then it steps back down, and by the end it reaches really high. Here's what it sounds like with its harmony. So the first thing that I want to point out is that the four chord kind of sneaks in there a measure before you're, it's supposed to. You actually hear it before you hear the bass note of it. It starts getting voiced in the inner voicings. Now, none of that makes much matter or probably makes any sense to you, but it makes sense to me because that's what help also creates some more of the little bit of awkwardness. Let's face it, Philip and Penny hanging out has caused a lot of speculation historically. And this musically creates the friendship while still allowing your subconscious to think some of those other questions if you're so inclined. It doesn't force it upon you, but it still allows you the space to think about it. But the thing that makes it most kind of awkward or weird, and I would even go so far as to say is wondrous, because that's typically what this note does when it's placed in a major scale, is the first note of that dropping phrase. That first note isn't typically part of the scale. Normally that note would be a half step lower, and it would just sound like it was resolving to the third rather than it was stepping to the third. Again, you don't need to know these numbers. Just know that the distance between the first note and the second note would normally be half of the distance. It would be a D natural instead of a D sharp. This comes from what we call a Lydian scale. And Lydian scales tend to offer some kind of wondrous or magical or lightness to a situation, but not quite right. So that helps add kind of the awkward weirdness to it as well. And again, it's not meant to be in your face. It's not meant to be offensive. It's not meant for you to say, oh, this is wrong. 
It's just meant to say, oh, this is strange. But to place it in the context with other great melodies, I'm going to turn to the John Williams, the final credits of the E.T. soundtrack uses a Lydian scale as part of the main harmony in a very similar way. It sounds like this. And because that Lydian note actually fits the final chord, it helps to set it up. Here, in Phipps's case, he doesn't give us that final chord. He keeps it centered in the key. It doesn't shift down the half step the same way the ET one does. And there's nothing wrong with either way. It's just that they create slightly different effects. Because of the key shift in the ET, there is more of a sense of wonder. Whereas in the Phipps case here, of the cut that we've been examining, it feels more awkward. So why go to such effort to make anything feel awkward? Well, for one thing, the, there is the wonder and all of that in it as well. I don't want to play that down because Philip has discovered the wondrousness of using these carriages and he's sharing that with Penny and she is starting to experience that as well. So there is that sense of wonder there. But the awkwardness also helps just to once again remind us that the Queen and Philip and really the whole royal family are just kind of odd. And calling the royal family odd to me now feels about as awkward as a Lydian note does. So let's move on to the next cut, which is entitled Carriages in the Season 5 official soundtrack. It's cut 11. This one from the same episode, episode 2, is... As Philip is developing the idea, first he's doing the research, and then he's having his team work on Penny's carriage. And one of the things that I love about this, and I'm not going to be playing too much about it, but one of the things that I absolutely love about this is the way that it builds. And the timbres, the instruments being played, that are being used here. It starts off with a voice, actually, or a voice sample. I'm not sure which. But the notes are long. They're steady. They are held out, and they don't go a whole lot of places. This is the idea that Philip is having on restoring the carriages. Long, steady notes that create a base, a support for the foundation, representing the idea and creating a stable place for which progress can be made on top of. Now, as progress is beginning to be made we get little flourishes of notes done first with just the flute, like this. And this is the part that I love. He starts to add more instruments after a couple of goes-arounds with this. It's like the idea is working, and these short flourishes of notes are the activity. The progress comes in spurts, just the way these notes come in little spurts. And then as progress is being made, those spurts of notes get a piano combined with the flute. And then as further progress is being made, we get changes in harmony underneath, which change the color, the texture. It started out as an idea. Now it's starting to come to fruition. And even the flourishes change to different notes. Like this. Somewhere in the middle there, you start to feel a time signature. 
And it created just with these little staccato notes, just this dun, 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 And the chords build underneath that. The slow, steady beat that you're hearing there is a representation of the march to get this done. It is showing that we are determined. And then the chords change completely in context. There's more notes added underneath in different instruments that create a bass line for it that change those harmonies even more. This carriage is transforming into what it's supposed to be or into a thing of beauty. And by the time you get to the end, it is a thing of beauty, right? He has changed this dilapidated carriage into a work of art. And you actually have to listen to the official soundtrack Again, cut 11 on the season five official soundtrack, Carriages, to really hear all of the timbres because the music is kind of buried down in the mix a little bit in some places in this show. But what I love the most is that the goal, the end harmony that we've been trying to get to the whole time is placed very, very high in the violins at the end. I urge you to go and listen to that wherever you get it. Spotify. Actually, I urge you to buy the darn thing because we need to support artists in that way. But if you can't buy it, go to Spotify and listen to this soundtrack. Listen to track 11, Carriages, and listen for that super high Gino in the violins at the very end that tells you the goal has been accomplished. I mean, there aren't many levels you can reach higher than that. That's the goal. I mean, it has actually been surpassed, and that's what the musical narrative is telling you there. So let's stay in the same episode. We've talked about all of the Philip stuff, basically, but let's talk about the Diana stuff, because she is the other principal in the second episode, and there is a new presentation on the season five official soundtrack, cut one, called Actually Her. Guess when that cut actually occurs. It's when the nurse asks uh, James Colehurst if she was actually talking to the princess. As I said, a lot of these cues are named after a script line or a certain action in the film. But the theme itself, which kind of sounds like Simple Heart, which is a theme that we've heard in season three and season four, and there are several what... Phipps calls variations of them that you can find throughout both soundtracks. Yet, it is not that theme. It does resemble it a little bit. It has those same kind of triplet rhythms, that same minor feel. It's a very dark piece. Remember, minor is sad or darker. Major is happy or hopeful or lighter, at very least. And this is what you get in terms of its basic outline. Pretty standard triplet rhythm. There's not much complicated about it. You can hear it outlining a minor chord. The bass line is going down, descending. It's telling us a little bit about Diana, a little bit about the dark place that she's in. And especially with the shots of Andrew Morton, it also tells you how she is preyed upon by the press a lot. 
But where it gets interesting, and it's unfortunate because once again, as I said before, a lot of the music in these shows, especially The Crown, the music gets buried down deep where you don't get to hear the full arrangement. But you do pick this up. And that is, is that there is a point where everything intensifies and the bass line starts playing notes that almost create what we call a polyrhythmic sense. Remember how I talked about how six can be divided into threes and into twos? Well, that's exactly what happens here. The bass line plays every two beats of those triplets. So you're still getting a total of 12 triplets per measure, but you're getting six bass notes per measure. And you're still feeling against that the emphasis on every three triplets, which gives it a four feel. So it's like you're you're feeling like uh, I'm going to try and beat this on my chest. Triple it, triple it, one, two, three, four. Those are the kinds of polyrhythms that occur and is one of the things that makes triplet rhythms or three, four or anything with threes very interesting. But listen how that effect happens when you just isolate every two notes of that in the bass. It gives it a different kind of thumping feel like this. And that is what creates the real menace here. That is the kind of the overarching darkness that is surrounding Diana. Phipps, just like a lot of composers, like to play with the way that rhythm implies feeling just as much as harmony, which everybody does, or melody, which most do, can tell us something about either character or emotional context. Rhythm can do it too, and that's what that is about. And there are, in fact, many, many of the themes that were used for Diana in season four that carry through this season. But I'm saving all of that for after the point that we get through all of the newish music. So let's wrap up that category with one more cut. And this one is entitled To the Grave. It comes from the same episode. It comes from episode two. It's cut six on the official soundtrack. It occurs a couple of times. It occurs as Colehurst has the bike wreck, if you want to call that nefarious or not, or Morton when he's finding his home has been broken into. And it also occurs when Philip first arrives to confront Diana about the book. So you take those two situations and you ask yourself, is Phipps musically connecting what happens to Colehurst and Morton? And Philip himself, or is he connecting the perspective that Diana has with these incidents and with the crown being against her coming out with this story? Now, I think it's the latter, but I can't tell you for certain. This is one of those show debate topics, so I'm not going to say anything more. I just feel like that this is all taken from the perspective of Diana even though the theme itself is about the principle of protecting the system, as the episode two title is called. And these two incidents happening with Morton and with Colehurst would be protecting the system. 
So you make up your own mind about that. Feel free to let me know. You can tweet to at LilibetPod on Twitter, L-I-L-I-BetPod on Twitter, or Hive, Matt's audio blog, or Mastodon, Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S audio blog. Send emails to that same spelling. Comment on the website, that same spelling.com. Or you can comment on our Double P Media YouTube presentations. Find those at youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. And mostly this is just a chord cluster. So what does that mean? Well, cluster means that things are clustered together. Have you ever heard of, you know, clustering is when things are fit together very tightly to a point where they don't really separate from themselves. That can happen with notes as well. And usually, the closer the proximity of the notes, the more tense things feel to us. I'm not exactly sure psychoacoustically why that works, but it definitely works. When you have big chords with lots of space in between each individual note, they feel different than when you took those same notes and put them all within the same octave. It's almost like a musical claustrophobia, so to speak. And so this cluster creates a very tense feeling like this. Something else that the piano can't relate, but when you put different types of instruments together, remember the way that we hear instruments is just because they generate different types of waveforms. The shapes of the waveforms that they make are different. And sometimes when different instruments are played together very closely, not only do the waveforms themselves, because they're very close together, create all these little places where they kind of phase each other out, that that creates something uncomfortable. And we don't actually hear the notes go away, but our ears are interpreting all of those little, what we call beats in there. And that creates a lot of tension. Just like when you're listening to a high school marching band and some of it's really out of tune, that's because those waveforms are so close together that the cancellation makes everything feel uncomfortable. And like I said, it's not that big a deal. I mean, that's just one chord, but it's the way the notes are situated together. It's the way the waveforms, the timbres of the instruments work together and all of these kinds of little cancellations that we don't really hear as cancellations, but they're there. And that creates tension in our eardrums. I don't know. Maybe it's too much for our eardrums to process, or at least the way that our brain is interpreting those processes, but it really feels uncomfortable, right? So that's all of the music that you can find in the official soundtrack for season five that's in these first three episodes. You heard my little spiel at the beginning where I protested the fact that Moo Moo did not get its own kind of original music instead of a lot of other themes were applied to it. And we'll be covering a lot of that here as we cover themes that we know. And I want to start, it's really very near the beginning of the episode when we meet our new actress playing Elizabeth. It's the same theme that was used to introduce Olivia Coleman in season three. And I just love it. It's a very simple motive 
which he turned into this triumphant piece at the end of certain episodes in season three. It's really just the basic motif that everything else is built around. But the motif itself, because of the timbres and the simplicity of it, are just electric to me. On the season three official soundtrack, it was called New Queen. So you can listen to the full rendition of it there. But here we just basically get the motif as she's getting the examination. And it still carries that same feeling of weight, of certainty. Here's what it sounds like. Now, something that the piano can never convey is the timbres, the instruments that are being used. Because the use of low woodwinds is a great representation of Elizabeth herself. We've heard the clarinet and other woodwinds being used to represent her throughout the first two seasons. So I love that when it came back to season three, Phipps decided to incorporate that. But it's in a deeper register, right? Just like the queen has grown in her depth of knowledge, in her depth of ruling, so too this is placed down in a lower register. And there's still just a hint of some brass sometimes or whatever in the various courses throughout season three. Brass as a timbre often represents that royal feeling. As I mentioned before, the heralding of trumpets, the heralding of brass announces royalty. And I love how this is in a deeper register, a lower register that gives the queen her depth of knowledge. As we age, we all get more experience. We all know more. We all say, gosh, if I only knew what I know now back when I was 20. And that's kind of the representation of the maturation of a queen that I love. Plus, it's just a great shtick. You title a piece New Queen? Well, we've got yet another actress playing a new queen. So the literal sense of it, both for season three's first episode with Olivia Coleman. And this episode, with the Malda Staunton, is a great shtick to stay with. Another theme that we hear at the end of episode one of season five is something that we've heard since season three. It was originally titled on the season three official soundtrack, The Establishment. And it usually represented the relationship between the prime minister and the queen, or it represented the government side of things itself. Through these three episodes, that remains true most of the time, but you've already heard me complain a little bit at the beginning of this episode, and I'm going to get back to that. But the most predominant version that we hear of these chords is during the end of episode one. And just to refresh your memory, these are the chords that I'm talking about, usually done with brass. Now, I just played that kind of straight. Normally, it's in like a 7-4 time signature, I believe. Another one of those odd time signatures. 
I guess the parliament side of things are just as odd as the royals. I don't know what that means. Anyway, all I'm saying is that normally it's played that way. I played it a little more straight this time. I kept it in a 4-4 time signature. And there are usually little ornamental figures that come with these chords or some kind of other type of beat. Here we don't really get the predominant beat or the bass pulse like we have in prior seasons. Instead, there's just these little figures that are added on top, especially as you go into the end credits of the episode, that add a little more, I suppose, mystery, suspense, whatever, because we do have the prime minister who is talking about what a mess the royal family is. So that presents itself as something that adds a little intrigue to it all. And I think we've even heard this figure used on top of the establishment theme before in prior seasons. But just to demonstrate what I'm talking about, it sounds like this. There is that one very strange chord that's in there that feels like it needs to go somewhere and then it resolves to a chord that still feels like it needs to go somewhere. That helps create the tension too. I'm talking about this. So we heard that theme used in episode one, primarily around the prime minister. But then we also heard it used in episode three. And you can actually find this version of it on the season five official soundtrack. It's cut three. It's called Al-Fayed. So he has repurposed the establishment theme for Al-Fayed. It occurs during his wedding and through to Dodi being born. Now, one thing that's interesting about this particular version is that it does incorporate the rhythms from the wedding dance into it. And obviously, I'm not going to make a drums track for this, so you'll just have to use the frame of reference that I've used before and hear the drums underneath it, or you can go to the Season 5 official soundtrack and listen to it. Again, I have a problem with this, because is this a representation of Mumu fighting against the establishment because he's marrying up? Or is it saying that he is going to be in opposition to the queen when all three in all three of these episodes, all we've seen him is be wanting to be part of all of that. And this is where the continuity of musical narrative, especially for episode three, really breaks down for me. Because not only does it not give Mumu proper representation musically, but it also kind of makes you question what any of this stuff was about for two entire seasons. And sorry about the soapbox, but you're probably going to hear me say that about a lot of these themes from here on out. Let's talk about another theme that we already know, although I'm not sure if I talked about this during season four or not. On the season four official soundtrack, the title of the cut was called Voices. Now, the instance in episode one where this is used for this season was when the queen was actually reading the Sunday Times and pondering, walking her dog, all of that stuff. We heard it then, and it uses a very simple motive that has 
voice timbres to it. I'm not sure if they're sampled or if they're actual voices. I'm assuming the latter. But that motive sounds like this. Now, that outlines a minor chord, and its stopping and starting point is on the fifth spot of that minor chord, what we call the fifth of the chord. What that does is that creates a tension because you want it to go back to that second note, actually. You want it to resolve to where its home is, but it never does, and it starts over at the same place. So there's a little bit of tension there. Obviously, this is a tense moment for Elizabeth as she's reading this whole thing about the Queen Victoria syndrome. But what gives it the real emotional context is the string harmonies that come in underneath. So together, it all sounds like this. And the thing that you notice about those harmonies is it's actually the third chord that represents home, but then it starts to drop down as well. And so that creates another sense of tension because we're not getting home. Instead, it feels like we're going back down. And once again, with zero musical continuity, we hear this used in episode three when Mumu decides to restore the old estate of David and Wallace. I don't understand that at all. But that's, again, just me finding an excuse to be on my soapbox again. So we'll move on. Let's move on to one of my favorites, which originally debuted in season four. And on the official soundtrack for that season, it was called Fairy Tale. And mostly this theme is used for Diana. There are voice timbres and there are short woodwind chords And then there is harmony that is placed underneath, usually by strings. Those are three separate things that FIPS, not unlike Balf, can use independently of each other. Sometimes he might use that melody over a different bed of chords. Sometimes he might use those short woodwinds over a different bed of chords. Sometimes he might use those harmonies with none of the other two parts. Good themes, especially around Diana or around central characters, sometimes have to be this complex where they can be used independently because there's just too many different kinds of emotional context that need to be added to a scene. So the short woodwind chords, the ones that are played with like flutes and things like that, sound like this. Then there are the vocal timbres, which kind of carry, I guess, kind of a quasi-melody, but it's just really a motive that sounds like this. And then there is, when you put it all together, there is this rich harmony that goes underneath it that is carried by the strings, like this. those lower harmonies 
that really give some good emotional context here. This is for the first episode of season five when Diana is talking with her secretary about the second honeymoon before they enter the plane. And then you hear the string parts, the really rich parts, once they are on the boat. It carries through the plane taking off and them giving the show and what have you. But it's the chords underneath that add the real emotional context. And that's because this piece, being an F minor, utilizes both the sixth and the flat sixth. Now, don't worry about these numbers too much, but they do change the context. The first chord you'll hear me play uses the flat six, which would be the regular sixth in the minor key. But by raising it a half step in the second chord, it creates an instability, almost this kind of welling of some kind of emotion within a person when they hear it, because you feel like part of you is being pushed up. Part of that is also because it almost feels like it's shifting from the minor to the major. Now, it's not necessarily supposed to make you feel happy, but it is supposed to make whatever you are feeling expand. It's taking that emotion and it's adding an extra hand underneath to push it up even more. And these are the kinds of things that you don't even really think about unless you're listening intently for them. But they happen to you nonetheless. Just as I said before, they can be used independently, which makes them very handy. For instance, in the second episode, you only hear the chords when Morton hands Colehurst the questions and during his bike ride to Kensington Palace. This gives Phipps a little extra opportunity to add this kind of extra ostinato motive. Then you hear it again in the second episode when she's recording her story for Morton to transcribe. And this time, Phipps will use a little bit different harmonies from the original and from episode one. Again, to change the emotional context, to make this deeper, to make it darker. And the theme is used once again during the montage of Morton being interviewed about the book. And in that case, the, those stabbing woodwind chords are there at first, but then the main vocal motive continues and other harmonies are placed underneath it, which adds a whole different emotional context to it. Now, here's my soapbox again, but it's also used in episode three when Sidney is remembering what David taught him and he's passing it on to Moo Moo which I don't understand what that has to do with anything at all. So just create some original music for Moo Moo, a triple M. I mean, I guess if you just want to go by the title fairy tale, I guess it doesn't have to be Diana's fairy tale exclusively. But all of these things take a real stretch of context in order to justify. So let's move on before I depress myself any further. One last theme from episode one that we've heard before is a theme that was originally called daggers on the season four official soundtrack and this one is being used for everybody getting ready for the gillies ball one of the things that's neat about this is the harmony underneath while being very similar to the establishment theme does distinguish itself in certain ways because it goes to the major four chord even though it's a minor piece what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is there are chord numbers for every key. 
each scale step represents whatever chord is built on top of that scale step. Normally in a minor key, the four chord is minor, and that helps really amplify the fact that the one is the minor and creates further darkness. But by having a four chord being major, it instead adds just a flavor of power or hope amidst that darkness. Now that actually occurs well into the theme, and I'm not going to play it all the way through to get to that point, but just go back and watch that part of the episode and listen for the part that kind of lifts you up a little bit. It actually is emphasized right as the queen is walking into the ballroom as well. But just to give you a flavor for what it sounds like, it sounds like this. So this is using a 7-4 count. It is actually in the same time signature as the establishment original theme was. It is also using the same chord progression between the first two chords that the establishment does. But from there, everything changes. The theme itself actually has a melody that isn't present in this episode, but you do hear some of the running lines from the original soundtrack. Another theme that was used from the season three official soundtrack called Simple Harp, and you heard me refer to it before. This time it's used in episode three of season five for David and Wallace when they're in Alexandria, Egypt during that flashback. And it actually starts when Mumu is playing soccer. And then it's used later in the episode when Dodie and Mumu are mentioned in the acceptance speech for the Academy Award for Chariots of Fire. And even though I can't really find a context for it being used for Moo, it actually really emotionally works, which is what I think some directors do. They don't really care about the musical narrative so much as they care about the emotion of the piece, and it really works there. The timbre of the harp naturally gives it this classical and very elegant feel to it. I suppose winning an Academy Award is kind of an elegant award to win. And of course, David and Wallace constantly bathe themselves in elegance, whether you felt they deserved to or not. Kind of a sophistication in the way that it has to be performed as well. And we've been going for an hour now just talking about music. So if you're still with me, I really thank you. If you have thoughts about any of this, please feel free to tweet at LilibetPod, L-I-L-I-Bet Pod. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. You can also use that same spelling for Hive or for Mastodon. Just look for me there. You can also use that same spelling to leave a comment on any of our website posts, mattsaudioblog.com. Or you can always leave comments on our YouTube videos, which are hosted by the Double P Media Network. Subscribe to that channel, hit the like buttons on things, leave comments. Be sure to hit that notification button because they're constantly putting out videos about all different kinds of shows. Find it all at youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media, 
And if you want to contact them on any of their socials, think of this spelling. The word double, the letters PHQ, that's for Twitter, Instagram, Hive, also for their Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. We talked about how the last theme was used for David and Wallace. Here's a theme that was associated with David and Wallace, I believe, back in season three, when it first appeared on the season three official soundtrack under the title Black Widow. And this time around, I'm not really going to break it down, but it is used for the conversation about Herod's, which I don't have any explanation for musical context for it, but it's a really neat theme because it's got this vocal dip in it, this woo. I can only barely duplicate what it sounds like on a piano, but kind of like this. And then it's got this really neat, slow tempo, creepy almost kind of sound to it. And that's because it goes between the fifth and the flat sixth in the melody while the bass line creeps up against it. It uses dominant chords in a minor key, which typically would have minor fives instead of dominant fives. Although that's a convention that's been around for a couple hundred years, so it sounds pretty normal to us. But I still love it. I just love how creepy it sounds. And maybe because you do think of kind of like, you know, a Black Widow's poisonous and whatever. It's a creepy creature, especially if you're an arachnophobe the way that I am. So maybe them preying on Herod's just to be able to be closer to the royalty is a little creepy. But again, I think most of the Moo Moo episode, I, I mean, I'm just kind of striking it from the musical vocabulary because I feel like they just didn't make any effort to give Moo Moo any originality or independence from the rest of the story. And they just went for things that sounded like they fit it emotionally, which is fine. It's their prerogative, but I don't have to like it. And I'm just going to mention these as well. Uh, I'm going to play one more, but the only other one that I'm going to play uh, is something that hasn't appeared on any official soundtrack. But first, let me just say uh, the cut Sisters from the Season 3 official soundtrack was actually used for Moo Moo's last moments with Sydney in Episode 3 of Season 5. I had thought that that theme was used mostly for Margaret and mostly in Season 3. So once again, I don't really get any connection unless you want to just say that, you know, Moo Moo had considered Sydney like family at the end and... That's fine. Like I said, I'm not going to argue the context on these anymore. The one that really struck me was weird. Uh, Charles from the season three official soundtrack. I think I am going to play this one just so you remember what it sounds like. Because it was used almost exclusively for Charles. And then maybe a little bit with Charles and Diana in season four. And then uh, in this third episode of season five, it's used for Elizabeth and Margaret. who are talking about the way that pairing Moo Moo and Diana was a good idea. I mean, I don't have any idea what the context is for that. Uh, I, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with Charles or Charles and Diana. Um, and again, you know, these titles don't necessarily mean what the theme is about. But we have two seasons of episodes where we have precedent 
of this theme being used for Charles and Diana. I mean, can you extrapolate out that Diana being happy, or at least that she's trying to make the queen happy, is good for Charles? It's such a stretch, but it is a lovely theme, so this is what it sounds like. And then the last thing that I want to talk about that's musically oriented that isn't used from a musical supervisor's point of view is the theme that was used for when they were filming Chariots of Fire. Now, this theme was actually also used in season four when Diana and Philip went out over the countryside looking for the stag. Episode was the Balmoral Test. Now, I don't know if this is a piece of regular classical music that's just being arranged. I can't actually recall it as a piece that is, you know, like standard literature, standard repertoire. But I also have a tendency to overlook sometimes the most obvious things. So if you know, tweet or email me uh, what this piece of music is. And if you listen to the one on the Bemoral Test and you listen to the one in this episode, the arrangements are completely different. Now, if that happens with old classical pieces, but I suspect that this is something that maybe Phipps has written, but he never has recorded it. He didn't offer it in the season four official soundtrack. It wasn't offered in this official soundtrack, which now makes me think, well, maybe it isn't his. But whosever it is, it's really a beautiful piece. It uses these wonderfully expanded chords it uses these inner voicing movements and uh, there are certain tensions between notes that just make it beautiful also the timbres really make a difference when you hear it done with horns as it is in this episode or with strings as it is in the season four episode it can really create different kinds of feelings uh, but it's a really beautiful piece and it sounds like this So, there's really nothing left to discuss composition-wise. I did want to make a special note of the role of the music supervisor in this show, who, I'm sorry, I haven't looked to see who that is, to be perfectly honest, for this season. Sometimes it changes from season to season, depending on what the needs are. Because the role of the music supervisor is to at least secure the rights for music that the director may want to put into it, that somebody else has composed that they can't possibly own and they have to ask permission for and pay royalties for. It also depends on what level of creativity the production team is giving the music supervisor, but sometimes they're also the ones who get to pick the cuts themselves and then go out and secure the rights for those. So I just want to list through some of these pieces that we heard that some of them you probably know because we are getting at least into the 90s. I understand that some of you may not even have been born yet, so don't hold it against me that I'm quoting a lot of old music. I'm quoting some music in this that will be older than my father. So 
that's the way that that goes. But in Season 5, Episode 1, Emotions by Mariah Carey. And that's as Diana and the kids are leaving the yacht to go to the beach. And it continues to happen in the background as the boat is going around the yacht. And uh, Charles is talking with Norton about his marriage with Diana. There's the cut Rule Britannia. James Thompson and Thomas Arne are credited with, I believe, the composition of that during the send-off of the Britannia. And somebody credited Chacon from King Arthur, uh, the Purcell piece. But really, the Purcell piece is just the main theme, I think. And there's some piano going on uh, called Off Dim Wasser zu Singen, I believe. I hope I didn't butcher that too bad. But it's a Schubert piece that you can hear in parts of the episode as well. The performance credit that I have for this is Dietrich Fischer, Dyskow, and uh, Gerald Moore. And the place where you hear it is as Philip is kind of calculating the repair bill for the Britannia. The band performing during the Gillies Ball Dance are performing Del Among the Tailors. And I'm not sure who those artists were. It may have been a live band. I suspect it probably wasn't. Uh, I could not find the second tune as Anne is telling the major about the Gillies Ball. Or even the tune that was uh, under Diana talking to the Prime Minister. Or maybe it's all part of the same thing. The version of Amazing Grace that you hear at the beginning of Season 5, Episode 2 at the funeral is the Londonderry Choir performing that. In that same episode, you hear the song My Destiny by Lionel Richie, and that's happening as Diana is preparing herself to go to the event before you have the montage uh, regarding Morton being interviewed about his book and, and her walking through the ballroom. And then three cuts from Season 5, Episode 3, Blue Skies Are Around the Corner, is one such piece performed by Ambrose and his orchestra, and we when we hear it, uh, we're actually in the bridge of the tune, not at the main part of the tune. But it's where David and Wallace are, are walking into a party and Mumu is flirting with the girl that he'll end up being marrying while he's negotiating his uh, 50-50 deal over the Coca-Cola. Same episode as David slash Edward contemplates hiring Sidney permanently. You hear in the background, I'm old-fashioned. And this one was by... Geraldo and his orchestra, or perhaps Geraldo and his orchestra. Not sure how that's pronounced. And finally, uh, at the Ritz in Paris, you hear Padam Padam by Edith Piaf, the famous singer. I hope I pronounced that name right. And I guess that the actress who is performing the live version of it, or after the initial shot of, of people going into the hotel... That's actually using the uh, Piaf version, but it actually then shifts to a live version, which is not the original cording, unless they pitched it down a half step, which I don't know why they would. But those are the kinds of tunes that had to be negotiated to get the rights for, that had to be selected by somebody, be it the director or the musical supervisor themselves. And that's always a really tough gig, you know, trying to create ambiance without having to pay millions of dollars to some artist based on syndication rights or whatever. 
And believe me, I'm all for artists getting paid. So being a music supervisor is a pretty hard gig, and I commend whoever gets this music for these episodes. Thanks so much for joining me for this musical analysis podcast. We will be covering the story of episodes one through three of season five of The Crown in the near future. So be looking for that on this feed. Don't forget all of that stuff that we talked about earlier. Contact info wise at Lilibitpod on Twitter, at Double PHQ on Twitter, at Double PHQ just about everywhere else as well. Uh, but don't forget that YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash the word double the letter P, the word media. And we will talk to you soon. Take care.